This is a Got Fitted Minute. Okay, folks, here we go. This is going to be another episode of Got Fitted Japan's A Got Fitted Minute. In this episode here, which is actually episode number two, I'm going to interview the famous Steven Sarazan, who is a good friend for, I think, I wouldn't say best friends, but I've known you for at least like 10 years or so. Close to that. Close to that, yeah, yes. totally. Um, cool. Now, all right, now a lot of people in Japan. They, they do their main job, and then they have a second job, or a third job, or a fourth job. And, and you, you do a lot of different things in Japan, a lot of multiple interesting things in Japan. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. What are some of the things that you do in Japan right now? Well, um, a lot of it is uh, lecturing. Lecturing. Uh, right, I'm working at uh, three different universities where I'm lecturing on film and media and art history. Mm-hmm. And the stuff I do here in Japan and, I guess, outside Japan is connected to that as well, which is uh, writing for film and art magazines, uh, programming film and video events, uh, or curating uh, exhibitions mm -hmm. uh, here in Tokyo and um, especially in Europe, uh, France, most of all. And you speak French? I do. I speak, I speak French, German, and a little English. A little English. Okay, yes. well, I guess we could do, have a little interview then. Right. <laughs> Can you speak any Japanese? I speak the uh, basic street uh, level Japanese, which uh, allows me to survive, but not enough to uh, lecture. Uh, from the streets. I love it. I love it. Okay, all right. So we can have an episode from the streets. I mean, that's kind of how we roll. <laughs> okay, so you do a lot of things, and you've worked for a lot of magazines. You've written for a lot of magazines right. um, about movies, uh, mostly Japanese movies or Western movies and Japanese movies. Or well, I've been doing it for a long time, so uh, I guess the early uh, early stages were about just international cinema, and then at one point I started specializing in Japanese film, and that's over. <laughs> That's over 15 years ago, I'm sure. Yeah. Okay, so 15 years experience in uh, Japanese film. Right. And, and what, is, what is your take on Japanese film? Mm -hmm. Well, in Asia, uh, in Asia, Japanese cinema was, uh, for, for decades, uh, the leading film industry. Uh, not necessarily in terms of films being made, but in terms of uh, international recognition. Uh, Japanese cinema was the first... Uh, form of Asian cinema that was uh, really distributed overseas and that got awards in international festivals um, and it, in some ways it opened the doors to uh, the rest of, I guess, Asian, uh, Asian production. Um, and for, for many decades, um, Japan just generation after generation produced some of the greatest uh, film directors mm -hmm. ever. So basically, Japanese films became big in Asia before, like the kung fu, like kind of like the kung ah. fu explosion in China and Hong Kong. Or? Yeah, that's well, that's another that's another story. I mean, uh, before the Shaw brothers uh, in Hong Kong started making all of their great kung fu films, mm -hmm. uh, Japan already had its own sort of subgenres of action films, like uh, films that are called chambara. Mm -hmm. which are you know, the, the swordplay films, uh, the uh, Zatoichi series, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, and Toei, uh, Toei Studios also had uh, its uh, sort of gangster films. Mm -hmm. And later, a little later on, uh, 
Sunny Chiba films, but that's a different, uh, that's something a little different from what I'm, I was referring to, which was that um, from the 50s, 60s, 70s, um, uh, Japan just introduced the, the world to some of the greatest uh, filmmaking ever mm -hmm. um, over over three, dec three or four decades. Um, that's true, that's true. Who's the guy that came up with the movie uh, Seven Samurai? He's oh. also done a lot of really, really big, impressive movies, like Idoru, I right. think. Yeah, so that's, uh, well, that's yeah, one of the four or five great masters, same generation. His name was uh, Akira Kurosawa. Okay, great, great, yeah. great. He's super famous. Of course, yes, yes. He's uh, overseas, uh, he's probably the most famous Japanese director. Mm. Uh, but of that same generation, there were the other there were four or five other great masters uh, mm -hmm. uh, Ozu Yasujiro mm -hmm. and Mizoguchi Kenji Narusei Mikio um, yeah uh, and then it moved on I mean from to the 60s 70s uh, just it just didn't stop uh, one generation after another of uh, great great filmmakers and this probably went on until probably uh, I would say around 2004 and since 2004 uh Japanese cinema is, on one hand, extremely successful domestically, mm -hmm. and it's making films that the rest of the world doesn't want to see. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't export that crap. Mm -hmm. The films are so, for the last five or six years, the majority of films being made here are so bad, but very successful domestically, but they just can't be exported. They're not good enough. Uh, are they not good enough because they're so cheesy or they're not good enough because they're just so they, they just kind of copy other movies no, no, or they're just bad films uh, they're just bad crummy films kind yeah. of like like 1980s movies like are they as bad as Repo Man and Repo Man is so bad that it's good I love Repo Man well no but Repo Man is made by Alex Cox who mm -hmm. uh, was a director with a perspective a point of view mm -hmm. I don't like every film by Alex Cox but Alex Cox made Sid and Nancy Whoa. So, so that's um, same that's guy, right? Big step from yeah. uh, Repo Man. So, <laughs> actually, I think he did Repo after Sid and Nancy. Are you serious? Yeah. He did Repo Man after yeah. Sid and Nancy? No way. Yeah. Really? So, yeah. Oh, so, Jesus. Um, but no, they're just uh, they're just bad films because, well, from my perspective, because they're not director mm -hmm. driven. Um, these films are just packaged. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it's collaboration between a talent agency, um, TV network, mm -hmm. uh, and some production committee. Mm -hmm. And uh, the director is just for hire. He's uh, just somebody who puts it all together. Mm -hmm. And it could be anybody. Um, just somebody that can make a couple of phone calls, knows a few people. Oh, no, the director, together, no, no, oh, no, the director is just a guy for hire. Uh, just somebody who, who technically knows how to make films. And... Mm -hmm. uh, and when we talk about a lot of the big successful Japanese movies of the last six, seven, or eight years, mm -hmm. uh, nobody, nobody knows who made these films. The director. Nobody right. knows the director. Nobody no. knows anybody except for the the, the talent. The stars. That's right. Yeah. And it's kind of like the recycled talent. It's like the same people. It's like the same members from SMAP in every single movie. Oh, well, no, like the movie Nin Nin, like yes. the latest ninja movie. Sure, <laughs> but but Japan, <laughs> however, uh, is able to generate. Um, every decade or so a new generation of talents mm -hmm. so some of them have a long lifespan like mm -hmm. uh, the SMAP guys you were mentioning but but some fall by the wayside mm -hmm. over a few years but nevertheless there's a new batch that sprouts every mm -hmm. every few years and um, and in a way like Hong Kong used to do the 
those talents would you know would do everything. They would they would sing. They would act in films. They would be in TV dramas. They would be in commercials. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah. yeah, the same thing is still going on in Hong Kong. But um, well, I mean, in the past, certainly that tradition in Hong Kong uh, predates. What happens? What happened here in Japan? I mean, in mm-hmm. Japan, you used to have great film actors. In Hong Kong, you had these women, men, and women who were doing all these things, but with great talent. Mm-hmm. Um, so they could do everything very well. Very so they're well. all just like well, multi-talented <laughs> characters. Most well, of them, anyway, right? I mean, you know, when, I mean, Cantonese pop is an acquired taste, but still. Uh, <laughs> I, I think pop is an acquired taste these days, anyway. Cool, cool. Well, that's awesome. How did you get started in this line of work? Like, how did you you get become like the Stephen who we all know? Oh, just. Uh, I mean, where did you come from? You were born in. Well, I uh, I was born in France, but my my father is my father is French, mm-hmm. and my mother is uh, Irish Canadian. Mm-hmm. Uh, but okay, so we're going way back. Yes. All right, I, let's do it. Yeah, but no, but just very very quickly. I mean, I. Uh, uh, spent childhood years in North America, mm-hmm. uh, in Canada, uh, in Montreal, in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, by the time I was in my early teens, back to Paris. So, and Paris is a film city; mm-hmm. it's a culture city. Um, and um, yeah, so I became art history and film student in France. And the university where I was going uh, had an exchange program with NYU. Mm-hmm. So I went to NYU and uh, stayed a little longer. Um, this was the uh, long time ago and uh but it was a great time to be there it was a yeah. great time to be there because uh um well when i was there my what you would call here in japan my senpai uh okay was jim jarmish jim jarmish okay yeah. and the senpai is basically like um older student yeah somebody's uh, like one or two three levels above you grades above you or whatever and somebody that kind of helps you on a little bit through like, like school that, right. so yeah so i uh was able to hang out with Jarmish and that crowd, and CBGBs was still there, and uh, people like Keith Haring and Basquiat were not famous yet. You could meet and talk to those people, and uh, so it was just a great, great time to be there. And and then after that, I came back to came back to France, continued you know graduate, I mean postgraduate stuff, and uh, um, started very young actually writing for journals and magazines, mm-hmm. uh, and. Um, then got uh, invited. I mean, got uh, yeah, got invited to start teaching, lecturing mm-hmm. in French universities, and mm-hmm. yeah, started from there. But once I started specializing in Japanese film and started to write about it, I would uh, during the summer breaks uh, I would come. I started in the nineties to travel to Japan to do interviews with film directors here and uh, just see more films. This is like before you could download stuff, right? This so, is like before VHS, right? No, no, no. I mean, no, this is DVD time. But I mean, uh, but before internet downloading. Uh-huh. So that uh, the number of Japanese films available were those that were only ava- available on DVDs or VHS. The rest you had to come over and see if you wanted to do and meet directors as well. So I, uh, I did that for many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and little by little, I just uh, started enjoying Tokyo more and more. And uh, back... how can you not enjoy Tokyo, especially back then? Back then, it must have been great. Oh yeah, it was fantastic. And, now, uh, now it's well. I've been here for different. ten years, it's and yeah. it it still keeps us here. But I, when I came here ten years ago, it was a lot. It was very 
I think it was more accepting back then, right. I guess. I, I don't know. I, I don't want to even get into it. But now, in the States, in the States, I'm sure it's the same in Europe and stuff. But uh, when I was younger, about like maybe 15 years ago, when I was in high school, show my age now, like at, at that time, when I'd go to like the local kind of like pharmacy or the local kind of, jeez, uh, I don't know, or is it like the VHS uh, rental place, whatever, like the only thing Japanese that we could ever get would be anime, right? And, and, and you'd have your Akira, and, and I saw Ghost in the Shell in a movie mm. theater, but uh, there's Akira, and there's like Bubblegum Crisis, and, and a whole bunch of them, and then you had like the dirty ones are in a different section, right? So... How, did you get involved at all with any animation, or did sure. you interview or get to meet like any like uh, let's see directors all, all or of them. all of them? All of them. Yeah. Top three. Oh. Or well, top three favorites. I mean, there's so many, right? Well, um, yeah, I, I got to interview. I mean, most of the most of the big ones. I, mean, I interviewed Otomo and uh, Oshi Mamoru, who did Ghost okay. in the Shell, and. Uh, uh, I know uh, Ideaki who did Neon Evangelion and uh, uh, well of course Miyazaki and Takahata from Studio Ghibli mm -hmm. and yeah all of so yeah I, I was interested in animation uh, but again from a director's point of view uh, mm -hmm. um, for me these were great directors first mm -hmm. uh, and that who were working with the medium of animation not anime per se as far as anime series maybe except for Neon Evangelion which is a different thing um, um, I, I'm not at all an expert on that I've mm -hmm. seen you know here and there some series that I was sort of keen about for example Oshi Mamoru was also involved in the pet labor pet labor things and mm -hmm. I saw those because he was involved so or uh, Beautiful Dreamer uh, mm -hmm. who see like that kind of thing because Oshi was attached to it for a while but uh, Otherwise, you know, it's uh, you know early Tezuka uh, series, uh, Osamu Tezuka series. But uh, I'm I'm certainly not a specialist on uh, anime. Uh, well, you're series. pretty special to me, Steve, because you're deeper than me. I have them. I didn't even know. Uh, okay, so what brought you specifically to Japan? Was it the movies? Like, yeah. did you become interested in the movies while you're living in France or sure. New York or? Yeah, yeah, in France, I. Uh, um, I think, like many people of my generation, we, um, we as teenagers, we just happened, you know, to uh, see on television films that didn't look like the average movies, mm -hmm. and uh, and I and in France, uh, in America, America had PBS that organized these kinds of film cycles on television, but in France, yeah. Iron Man or whatever, um, yeah. But in France, every Friday night, you had a. The, the, the midnight film, which was generally an art film. Mm -hmm. And at one point, when I was a teenager, I just stayed up and saw, um, God, what was it? I think it was uh, a silent German film, The, the Cabinet of Dr. Carigari. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then I, so I st started tuning in. Mm -hmm. and, and one night, you know, they played, we, you were talking about uh, Seven Samurai, and, uh, mm -hmm. and they, that was on. Um, and uh, I was, I think I saw that when I was 16, and uh, I just wanted to see, well, just generally more of these amazing films. And, mm -hmm. and when I became a film student, to make the, the long story shorter, when I was a film student, there was a course offered on classic Japanese cinema, which I took. And, um, uh, and among the films that were uh, screened in that course were those by uh, 
another master, same generation as Kurosawa. Uh, mm-hmm. His name is Ozu Yasujiro. Mm-hmm. And um, saw a film called Tokyo Story, uh, Tokyo Monogatari. Tokyo Story, yeah, um, classic. Yeah, I think for many people, uh, that's how we discovered Ozu. And um, and I was, I think, 19 when I saw that film. Mm-hmm. And I knew then and there that, I didn't know when, but I knew then and there that I would be coming to Japan. Uh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's pretty awesome. I think a lot of people that saw Akira thought the same thing. Probably generation after, yeah. Uh, well, Akira came out a long time ago. That movie, although uh, it's not dated I, at all. I, I saw it, and I saw it when it came out in the movie theater. It was '89. Yeah. Was it '89? Yeah. I 80, saw it in high or school, like yeah. nine. No. Yeah, '88 or '89. '84. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that is awesome. That is awesome. Now, let's let's kind of move into like a different direction and stuff. Like Japanese films, and actually Japanese TV and cinema, it's, it's kind of got a reputation for being a little bit uh, extreme. Like, for example, what's the movie? Uh, Family Man or Ichi the Killer. Oh, right. Yeah, and Ichi the Killer was by, uh, who is it by? Uh, the, his name is Mike Takashi. Mike Takashi, yeah. Yes. And like... In, in, in like a lot of the crazy, not crazy Japanese movies, but I mean kind of that, that, that kind of steamer, things are a little bit uh, extreme, that actually goes back like even well, a different generation because the, the movie Peter, which is a pretty interesting name, but the movie Peter, Pita, is, mm-hmm. have you seen that one? It's like a black and white movie about uh, was it cross-dressing prostitute. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah that, the, the, that actually, uh, the name of that movie is uh, Funeral Parade of Roses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the actual title is yeah, The Funeral. And Peter, uh, who was one of the most beautiful uh, um, transvestites uh, at the time, mm-hmm. uh, was the star of that film. Peter was really a transvestite in real life? Oh, yeah, sure, sure. No yeah. shit! Yeah, so he, Peter was like the original Divine? But much better looking. Well, uh, I don't know, to each their own, right? <laughs> yes. But, uh, yeah, but um, actually with Peter... Uh, Peter had a long, long career, and he was in uh, one of uh, Akira Kurosawa's last film. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played in Ran, Ran, which was uh, Kurosawa's adaptation of uh, Shakespeare's King Lear, mm. and he plays the uh, the king's uh, buffoon uh, in uh, in Ran. Yeah, so Peter, yeah, Peter had a long shelf life. Uh, oh shit, yeah, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Something to check out. Cool, but. How did Japan kind of get like kind of stuck with this kind of like theme or this kind of like uh, whatever like you say anything about Japan like the first thing anybody really thinks that's not really familiar with the classics is going to be like oh yeah like I mean like uh, maybe like I don't know squid porn or maybe just all sorts of other weird shit or something how did it get slapped with that I mean was there like one movie that came out and then the deck of cards just fell or was well, it just like a couple yeah. of movies that came out that just shocked Hollywood to the degree where Hollywood's like, well, we're not even going to touch this country anymore or what, what happened? Oh, that, well, yeah, that's, I, that's pretty hard to summarize there, Johnny. But uh, no, I mean, before all those films, uh, Japan had already a very, uh, very explicit, very strong graphic t- tradition going back to... Uh, past centuries, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and notably, I mean, during the Edo period, uh, um, during what is called the, well, the, the block prints, uh, the ukiyo-e mm-hmm. uh, eras, you had great, you know, Hokusai and uh, uh, Umamoto and um, 
I'm sorry, not Tomamoto, what am I saying? Utamaro, Utamaro, and uh, who um, were doing uh, very, um, oh, very explicit uh, erotic drawings. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, I mean, anime didn't invent, for example, uh, squid porn. It's already in Hokusai and some of those guys. So, so it goes all the way oh, back, like back, hundreds of years. It goes back hundreds of years. And, uh, and so uh, a lot of the manga artists were, of course, influenced uh, influenced by that uh, and brought it into their uh, their work mm -hmm. and eventually it made its way into uh, well, Japanese subculture mm -hmm. um, including including cinema um, so um, in ja in the Japanese film history there is uh, that genre culture that sub subculture of filmmakers mm -hmm. that, yeah. that exists and it's it's a small group uh, there are 10 or 12 major, major figures. Mike was one of them uh, um, who uh, were very interested in that, in that world. He's but still it's been, making movies too, He's still right? making, but um, now um, Mike is a, a brilliant director, but he's more a director-director. Uh, for a while, he did have that kind of very violent, dark world, uh, excessive, uh, mm -hmm. excessive violence, uh, now, the interview is a great one. Sure, but uh, audition, right? Ah, the audition, yeah. that's yes, it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, <laughs> me, 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 me. <laughs> but now, uh, I mean, Mike still makes these kinds of films, mm -hmm. although he's mellowed a little. And, and he does a lot of uh, just, you know, director for hire works as well, which are very uh, sort of family friendly as well. So he's kind of selling out? I think it's impossible to... Um, Somebody of his status can't sell out. He's like done too much. No, I think that um, he's a guy for hire, and um, Mike is. I would say, like for directors, he's like, uh, for example, in uh, in Hollywood filmmaking, guys like uh, Michael Caine used to be. You know mm -hmm. that Michael Caine never turned down a project. You know, whether yeah. it was a great project or a bad project. Now, in recent years, Kane has come around and prestige projects only. But, you know, when we look at his career, 70s, uh, 70s, early 80s, he, uh, you know, Jaws 4 or whatever, he never said no to a paycheck and uh, kept working and working. Sometimes material was great, sometimes material was bad. And mm -hmm. I think that once Mike got the, the punk thing out of his system, mm -hmm. um, alternated between these kinds of projects when he could make them mm -hmm. and took took the work or, uh, when it was offered to him. And, uh, Gotta make a dollar, right? But Mike is like that. Mike, uh, uh, I mean, have, I've, you know, having met and interviewed him a few times over the years, um, Mike is a workaholic. His, uh, uh, he dreads you know, the day that the phone won't ring. Mm. Mm. He just loves. He needs to work. He needs to work, and uh, uh, and as he said himself, yeah, if he's home and the phone's not ringing, he's just it's freaking out. Yeah, freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> I can totally relate to that. Okay, cool. Very, very cool. Speaking of interviews, now you've interviewed a lot of celebrities. I mean, not only Japanese celebrities, but you've interviewed a lot of. I mean, well, you you hung out with Jim in New York, right? So, but you know, he wasn't. He wasn't he, Jim back right, then. He right. was like Jimmy. <laughs> no, he was, uh, he was Jimmy Jim. at the bar, right? Oh, he was Jim. <laughs> he was Jim. <laughs> yes. 
Cool. What was it like hanging out with Jim, by the way? Well, I was a little younger, and um, was his hair still gray and white? I mean, no, he wasn't white yet. It was it was getting gray. It was getting gray, but not not white yet. But um, mm. no, it was just a great time because uh, New York still had New York still had a lot of art house cinemas, and as I said, you know, uh, the music scene and art scene was so everybody you know knew any knew everybody, and you could get into that you know, very very quickly and. Um, yeah, we just, I mean, Jarmusch was a great fan of European art films, mm -hmm. and so was I at that age. I mean, uh, I mean Godard, uh, Godard films, or um, Wim Wenders, Fassbinder from Germany, uh, Jean-Marie Straub, also from, uh, from France. And, um, um, and, and during those years, uh, that great German filmmaker, Wenders, Wim Wenders, was also living in New York, and uh, Wenders was... Enders was at that time a kind of patron for uh, Jarmusch. He uh, gave him film stock, and, uh, and so uh, Jarmusch was able to make *Stranger in Paradise* with uh, the film that, uh, in part, you know, from the uh, Enders' help. So um, it was, um, yeah, it was a fun time. Yeah, between uh, well, between the indie music scene, mm -hmm. uh, you had all these. I mean, uh, did you meet Deborah Harry? No, I never met her. Just uh, just watched on stage, but I, you know, met a good enough at that point in time, you know. Yeah, but I mean, met everybody else, you know, the uh, you know Arno Lindsay and Claude Dva and mm -hmm. uh, well Sonic Youth and mm -hmm. all of those you know, people from that uh, from that scene, Lydia Lynch, uh, all that. Mm. Fantastic, fantastic. But then from there, then you went back to Europe and stuff, and in Europe and France, you started working. And at that time, France started blowing up as being more of a creative city. Although it's been a creative city for like hundreds of years, of course. But at that time, it was, would you say it was at its peak? Or? Paris? No, no, Paris. Uh, at that time, Paris. In, when, when, I, when I went back... Uh, this, this is like the, the mid-80s? Well, yeah, mid to late 80s. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, those were the money years. Uh, France at that time had luckily had still had a socialist government. Mm -hmm. and Mitterrand was still uh, François Mitterrand was still in power, and the great thing about the socialist government was that it really boosted the Ministry of Culture and mm -hmm. really made public money available for so many so many projects. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the eighties were the years, the decade of uh, of money, and. Um, so uh, France as well, sort of through the art scene, a return to painting after conceptual or installation art. There was a big return to painting everywhere in the world because it was easier to sell. Uh, in France... During I, the I wish it still was easy to sell. <laughs> <laughs> well, for some painters it still is. And, uh, and France in the 80s uh, was introducing sort of different kinds of filmmakers from the art filmmakers. I mean, uh, Jean-Jacques Benex, Luc Besson mm -hmm. emerged during those years, Leos Calix, uh, which was sort of bigger budget, more visually oriented. Um, and it was, uh, and, and French music was very poppy, very, very sort of sweet, but very, um, and clever, but very poppy. So, it, so coming from New York to Paris at that time was, uh, well, let's just say that I was, going back and forth a lot between, uh, let's say, Paris and Berlin. And Berlin was still uh, sort of an angry city back then. I mean, it would blow up with in 89 with the wall coming down. Mm -hmm. So Berlin was a fun place to be as well. And I lived, I had lived in Berlin um, a little while. In, uh, Berlin is awesome. Mm. 
but I lived there when the wall was still there. Really? Yeah. yeah. Damn, that's punk rock in itself. Oh yeah, that, uh, <laughs> I went to Berlin. I mean, because I had uh, uh, I was pretty young. I was nineteen mm. around there, and uh, um, I had heard the the uh, well the Bowie records, you know, Low Heroes and uh, Lodger. And I thought I want to I want to live in a city that can produce a sound like that, and so I did, and it was great. And then went back to France. And uh, awesome, that's yeah. fantastic. And then from France, after living in France, then you came to Japan. Well, I first started traveling to Japan in early nineties. So I, it wasn't I, a big move. It was kind of like a gradual. You come and visit. You come and visit. You come and visit. And then yeah, boom. and about seven or eight times after seven eight or eight times, so I. What was like the final decision? Like, what was like the well, straw first, that broke the donkey's back? No, it was just <laughs> at first I, I just thought I'd take a sabbatical mm-hmm. um, because in France I was working as a regular university professor, and mm-hmm. uh, so I decided I'd take a year off and uh, do some research, mm-hmm. um, have a project, book project, and so forth. And uh, and after a year, it um, it went so well here that I um, you know it, it just turned into. Uh, well, 10 years. Uh, that's kind of how it happens right. in Japan. Uh, my, my three months wound up being six months, and I'm here for about 10 years now, so hmm. crazy how that happens. And then, so basically, while you're working in, while you're working in uh, Tokyo, you came to Tokyo, or are you one of the Osaka guys? Oh, or? no, no. I, I've never lived in any other city. Than Tokyo? Right. That's probably a good thing. So you came to Tokyo, and then from here, like, you just started working. You started getting work and requests and stuff from France. They're like, listen, we need you to interview this guy. We need a story about that guy. There's a new movie coming out. There's this anime director we need you to talk to. And Sometimes, but at that point, uh, I'd been writing for a while, and I was able to say, I want to do this. I'd like to do that. So you're at the point, at, at that time, you're at the point where you, like, you could request your own kind of, like, topics and things. Right. So you went to, like, a French uh Let's say magazine, a, a movie magazine. You're like, listen, there's a movie coming out. I've got to write something about it, and they're just like, do it. Yeah, that, yeah, it was, it was like that for for a while. Yeah, and now it's websites, right? Yeah, a lot of websites, uh, but I still like writing for print, for print magazines. But yeah, websites. Uh, but also, when I moved here, the uh, the film distribution scene, uh, Japanese film distribution scene, scene was still. Uh, quite strong I mean, in terms of exporting Japanese film. And so for about five or six years, I worked as a consultant mm-hmm. uh, for Japanese companies, uh, helping them, advising them on which films they should try to uh, push for festivals or market overseas and you know, doing press kits and uh, going with the director to festivals. And uh, that was when you know, they were still interested and wanted to do that, and mm-hmm. as I said, by two thousand five or six, it it was that was finished. Yeah. So why did it finish? Is it because all the movies turned to crap, or well, mo- the majority of the movies kind of like no, decreased because, in popularity? No, or? no, no, it's quite the opposite. I mean, the the Japanese films that they started making were so successful here that uh, producers and film companies uh, didn't want to bother exporting the f- making films and trying to export them for additional cash because those films were so successful here. So, and it's a gamble if they send them overseas, right? Yeah, and the kind of films that, as I said earlier, that they, they've been making since 2005 are just not a chance uh, mm-hmm. to get picked up. So um, so why go through the trouble? And, uh, yeah, that's so, true. If you ask me what was like, the best movie in the last five years coming out of Japan, I would probably say 
I don't know. <laughs> I can't imagine any movie coming out right now. I have no idea. I know a couple of animes, but all those are like, what, One Piece? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's cool. That's very cool. Um, let's see. Wow, we're just moving right along. Uh, let's see. And you're also doing art right now. And so can you explain a little bit or talk a little bit about the uh, Padme uh, Persona or the, the Cutting Light projects? Oh, right. Uh, well, for years I've been... Just curating, mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, putting shows, art shows together, uh, sometimes in Tokyo and sometimes, and but a lot also in France. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, a few years ago, um, uh, one one artist, one French artist that I like very much and that, and that I've often showed in exhibitions, uh, was uh, invited by a gallery in France to be curator. Mm-hmm. And he had asked me, uh, he'd asked me to do a collaboration with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the collaboration was quite successful. And uh, that gallery asked me if I had more work to show. And then you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> well. Um, or you had more work to show. I had a lot of ideas anyway. I mm-hmm. had a lot of ideas. Um, <coughs> so it, yeah, it um, uh, started, you know, it, uh, I'd always been doing videos and photography, uh, photography on my own, uh, on the side, mm-hmm. uh, just for the pleasure of uh, uh, pleasure of it, uh, but not never really thinking about wanting to uh, wanting to show it, but just uh, when you're when you're writing or um, organizing programs, being familiar, being a little more familiar with the medium, mm-hmm. understanding how it works, the process, being mm-hmm. able to shoot, edit, etc. just helps, helps a lot. And, uh, so, um, yeah, so I, I, I had, uh, I have since, since then I've, I've been represented by a gallery in Paris and I've had some shows mm-hmm. uh, and, um, yeah, uh, um, yeah, the cutting light was the last one was the last one which was in 2011 and uh, that was past the coding show or the cutting light or the cutting show the cutting light the cutting light mm-hmm. was uh, yeah, the last exhibition the last show I had uh, at that gallery and now I'm working on something for 2013-14 uh, can you elaborate or there's still a little hush hush oh, still a little yeah, hush hush okay hush, okay okay uh, but um, however I'll be showing um, I'm going to um Morocco, in Morocco in February, mm-hmm. um, where I'll be, um, uh, as a programmer, as curating programmer, uh, showing uh, uh, 50, well, about 50 years of French video art, mm-hmm. um, and um, at, um, at a gallery in, uh, in the city, well, I'm invited for a kind of... Uh, artists residence mm-hmm. over there and part of the process of that residence is that they have a gallery space and I'll be uh, showing new photography works and video uh, while I'm there and, that's yeah. awesome that's great mm-hmm. what is it a big transition going from like writing and like uh, and like like public speaking and stuff at like universities about film and art to actually being like a curator and like a director for like like art galleries, is it like kind of like um, 
Is it big? I mean, or is it kind of like kind of still in the same kind of general? Uh, you know, yeah. a lot of those, do they kind of overlap a little bit? Or? Sure, they do. Yeah, yeah. It's just an extension. Um, and once you, I mean, once you begin to write, I mean, once you're lecturing and then you begin writing, um, um, well, depending, you know, uh, what you're writing about, of course, and how it's received, um, generally that will lead, of course, to contacts with artists, you know, you're reviewing shows, you're visiting mm -hmm. studios, artist studios, and you begin to just have concepts of how, you know, you see this artist's work or putting artists together. And, um, and then either you get invited by a gallery because you become a little famous or you send a proposal, you know, a concept to a gallery, but mm -hmm. you're interested in this idea of putting all these artists together for one show and, uh, Cool. So it's actually a, kind of a smooth transition. Well, it was smooth for me, but it's not always. But uh, there are periods in a career when it is smooth, and then there's a generation behind that's coming, that's coming up, and uh, there are younger, younger people with great talent who uh, it's going to be their turn. So um, bastards. It's, no, no, it's just <laughs> taking all the jobs. <laughs> no, that's fair enough. It's just trying to. Um, keep uh, yeah, um, well keep interesting and uh, hopefully um, you're still uh, you're still connecting with um, with well, with that scene you know, with, their, with their younger artists uh, new galleries uh, websites and magazines um, yeah. is it easier to be a writer these days opposed to like maybe like 20 years ago because 20 years ago I mean there's so many magazines out right but now there's like a billion uh, websites about movies, a billion websites about art, a billion websites about, let's just say about Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, so, right. I mean, is it easier or there's no money in it because it's oversaturated or? Yeah, I think it's well, yeah, definitely oversaturated. Uh, writing's never been easier. Being a writer, that's another mm -hmm. issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, being a writer is not uh, posting uh, three lines. I like it. I don't like it. And Twitter, it's, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, I, uh, two thumbs up. Yeah, that's uh, too late for me for that. I, mm -hmm. uh, writing's a craft. Uh, you know, writing's a craft. Uh, putting language together, it's having ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, not just attitude. True that, true that. Do you use Twitter at all? Or? Hell no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do not let Kevin Smith know this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Facebook. Yeah, I use Facebook as a sort of giant professional network and mm -hmm. exchange of ideas. And mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I, um, you know, it's, you know, the, the, uh, at this point, I'm sort of, uh, you know, thinking, wow, you know, it's like I have to start another page because I'm getting at 5,000. Wondering how did that happen? Mm -hmm. But actually, it's just networking internationally with people you know, in film and arts and and, and so forth, and it uh, it's fantastic to exchange information like that. Uh, but in terms of just uh, you know posting uh, three lines on something, mm -hmm. um, I don't have the time for that. I'm just I'm watching a film or I'm reading a book or I'm doing something. I I'd Using rather, your time wisely. Well, differently anyway. Or I mean, drinking and listening to Gaffey to Japan, you know, it's something good. like that. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, but Twitter, God, I have, I know so many people who use it, and mm -hmm. uh, and people I like and people I respect who are, who are using it. So, uh, no, it's I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, dissing it. I'm just it's not for me. It's not for me. 
Okay, that's cool. Fair yeah. enough. It going back to like famous people and stuff. Who, F, like living in Japan, kind of gives you like a an advantage to meet like a lot of famous people because I mean, when let's say let's say uh, Quentin Tarantino or let's just say like somebody comes to Japan, you're the guy to interview. Well, I was for a while, but um, uh, to be to be really honest with you, I'm. Mm. Uh, I like directors. I'm not very interested in celebrity itself. So there are some actors that I like because mm. I think they're wonderful artists. Mm. Uh, and they're skilled people. But uh, celebrity, for celebrity's sake, uh, I, don't, I really, really don't care about that. So sometimes I've been asked, you know, do you want to come to this press conference? You know, uh, it's this actor, this and this. Mm -hmm. Thanks, but no. No, no pass. You pass that. You're sure. like, Justin Bieber, fuck him. No, they... They know better than to call me for that. But, uh, <laughs> like, don't call Steve, he'll get pissed. <laughs> no, no, but, uh, no I, I'm way too old for that anyway. And uh, But um, yeah, but on the other hand, you know, uh, one of the fun things I remember doing here was uh, there, there's been a lot of nice moments, but, you know, for example, doing a little, in very brief, but just beautiful little interview with uh, David Fincher and Brad Pitt. And that was so nice. That was, that's a nice memory. Um, They're really cool. Yeah, 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 because I spoke to them, uh, I couldn't care less, you know, about their celebrity status. I was mm -hmm. interested in uh, what they'd accomplished together, mm -hmm. and uh, just, uh, yeah, took it from there, and, uh, yeah. Cool, are you ready to say, or talk about the biggest dicks that came here? Like, I mean, did John Travolta come in here and he's like, hey, Japan, Harajuku, or... Well, again, I probably stayed away from those kinds of things. Uh, I mean, there are some... Uh, there are actors who have, for example, if we're talking about celebrities and actors, there are some actors who have something to say mm -hmm. and who are smart people. Um, and there are other actors, you know, why should you bother asking them about you know, what they think politically or what they think? Uh, they're not... That's You know, they're great on screen and they're just so skilled and wonderful craft and they're not always the best people to ask uh, about uh, about issues uh, so if you uh, ask them anything they're just going to recycle something that they, they either heard yeah, or yeah, they can or, ramble about their movie or bring it up to something else or something, something or? like that yeah and, okay uh, you know it's uh, I have um, you know when you hear someone like uh, in press conferences somebody <laughs> like uh, this is an obvious example like Clooney mm -hmm. Clooney is so, well, he's a smart man, he's politically involved, mm -hmm. he's an activist. Um, it's not you know, whether or not I agree with those choices or not, but it's just that he's, uh, he comes with something to say, and it's wonderful. Uh, it's also, you know, it's wonderful because he knows his limitation as a performer and smart about how to use that, and it's great, yeah, it's great to hear somebody uh, talk about the craft like that, and... Uh, and there are others who, um, you know, they're great on screen, and um, and of course I I understand the whole uh, um, attraction to mm -hmm. um, to celebrity mm -hmm. and uh, uh, the excitement of it, uh, but I um, you know, I've never uh, you know, felt it. So they're great on screen, but when you meet them, they're dicks. No, not dicks, not dicks, no, oh. just. Uh, nothing special to, to say. They're know? just very simple people, very basic, kind of like... Right, yes, and... What uh, you see is what you get. 
Well, no, no, because I mean, a great actor uh, makes you forget you know, that a great actor becomes somebody else. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we, when you see them in the press conference, um, sometimes it's unfair to put certain questions to certain actors because uh, you know, uh, why would they have the answer to something? You know, celebrity uh, in Japan, mm -hmm. when you're watching, uh, when you're watching uh, TV shows in Japan, celebrity status oddly gives you the right, the right to have an opinion or a comment about everything. Yeah, thus the uh, variety shows. You become an expert literally on, on everything. Uh, and that's a big difference compared to like Western celebrities. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Uh, except, I mean, if you're talking about you know, these kinds of uh, talk shows in America uh, or reality shows or whatever, you know, where um, mm -hmm. you have that kind of instant... Credibility. Credibility, right. But... But in Japan, yeah, there is this kind of uh, you know, legitimacy that you get through uh, media exposure. Um, to a degree, I guess it's kind of the same in the States. I mean, you know, I mean, let's see, uh, let's see, uh, oh God, Sean Penn is very, very, I mean, political, you know, and he gets up on his soapbox sure, sure, and talks, sure. I mean, and we all love Sean Penn, he was great, but I mean... But, I mean, he talks a lot about politics. Uh, the, the lead singer of the Smashing Pumpkins. I mean, that guy talks a lot about politics and stuff like that, too. And, and it, I guess they're American freedom, their right to, you know, have an opinion and stuff like that. But just because they're famous, do they really know a lot about what they're talking about? Maybe, maybe well, yeah, maybe no. I don't well, know. But you listen. Uh, I mean, first, you, you give everybody a chance and you listen. Well, I give Sean Penn a chance. And... Uh, and are they expressing themselves articulately? Are they smart? Do they have mm. the right references? Or are they making up stuff? <laughs> uh, so <laughs> they once, are actors. But yeah, but you know, once uh, you know, once you make up your mind and you decide, no, this person goes beyond, you know, and actually has something to say, then you can say, yeah, he's a performer, an artist, and and an activist, and you know, mm. has a voice, and uh, um, and certainly in the the history of American, oh, in the history of Western culture. Uh, Writers, artists, singers—it's uh, you know, full of uh, full of great examples of uh, performers who also had a conscience. Um, cool. All right. And let's see. Do you have anything planned for the future other than Morocco? Like, uh, what are some other big projects of which you're working on? Is there anything you want to plug? Anything <laughs> that's coming up, <laughs> other than your Facebook? Right. Well, um, in 2013, uh, if you're in Tokyo. Uh, 2013 is going to be the 50th anniversary of uh, what is called video art. Uh, mm. First time an artist did something with the idea of video uh, was in 1963 in Germany. Uh, video didn't exist then, so it was using uh, live television and mm -hmm. trying to, to do abstract images with uh, TV, but that happened 50 years ago in Europe. So video art was born in Europe, and uh, so... In Hiro, in Tokyo, there's uh, I'm working with the um, European Union delegation, uh, which has a, a kind of well, embassy. It's not an embassy, but it's they have a building which is called the Europa House, which mm -hmm. is uh, the the, uh, the office that represents the European Union here in Japan, and they've got fantastic auditorium and um, over six months, uh, one screening a month uh, from January to June of 2013. I'll be giving a, a talk and screening some key European videos uh, that cover that, um, that history. 
throughout the years. Well, from yes, yes, that's right. Over over for forty five decades and uh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be nice. And uh, um, and in June, um, that's still uh, still a work in progress. But I'm going to be curating uh, curating an exhibition of new French art mm-hmm. at a gallery in Shibuya. And uh, and then after that later this year it's more work in doing something in Paris again. And uh, so you're just basically you're pretty much just nonstop working. You are a workaholic as well. But for me it's not work. Uh, it's it's a lifestyle. And uh, oh no, I get so sometimes I look tired and uh, exhausted. Steve, a lot of our listeners smoke weed. Yes, <laughs> but uh, no, no, I. Um, I take holidays, I take breaks. No, this is not mm-hmm. work. It's a lifestyle. It's a choice. Uh, uh, and all of those activities are, are connected. And it's, uh, yeah, it's never a job. It's the way you choose to uh, lead Wake up life. in the morning and yes. just go for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. All right, fantastic. There's nothing wrong with that. That's awesome. And if anybody wants to get in contact with you, that would be, the best way to do it would be through uh, Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> did I just set you up <laughs> you're just like fuck why did I say why didn't I say MySpace <laughs> right uh, no Facebook is fair enough um, I, I filter a lot you filter a lot okay folks you heard it here <laughs> if you get in that's great and if you don't hey you can be my friend <laughs> exactly <All right. laughs> I have all the friends I need all you faders on no, there you're way more social you're, you're a lot more sociable than I am <laughs> not these days all right. Well, I got to say, Steve, uh, thank you for taking the time to come down here and stuff. And uh, it was great talking to you. And uh, thank you very much for telling us a little bit about like the past, the present, the future and stuff of uh, what's happening uh, with film and art. And uh, cool, man. Thank you very much. My pleasure, Johnny. All right, folks. And we'll definitely catch you on the flip side next week. You'll definitely see Shank and me do another show of Got Fit in Japan. All right, folks. Catch you on the flip side. Peace. Yo, what's up, folks? There's a couple of things we love here at Got Fit in Japan, and well, as you know, it's booze and news. But one thing we also love is art. We love art at Got Fit in Japan. And in fact, you should love art too. So come on down to thespillthing.com, thespillthing.com. We have all your artistic needs. We've got paintings for sale, t-shirts for sale. Hells yeah, we even have a book. Come on down and check out the book. We've got videos. If you'd like to see a couple of videos on how the art is made, check it out too. And also, Building.com can also be used for commission. If you have something in mind that you want to be made, come on down to Spilding.com and have it made for you. Spilding.com, making art, producing art for all your artistic needs. Spilding.com. Am I going to say it again? Fuck yeah, I'll say it again. Spilding.com. I'll even spell it. T-H-E-S-P-I-L-T-I-N-K.com. Spilding.com.